Angie's List is now Angie, A-N-G-I, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And they're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project is, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. That's what you want, right? I'm uh, thinking about building out my basement in my cabin. I've been perusing Angie, looking for just the right contractor to get it done the way my wife and I want it done. Now, Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and right in your neighborhood. That's important, right? You can do comparative shopping. Get started today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today. The app and the website are free to use. Angie.com or the Angie app. Go check it out today. Hello, America. Welcome to a very busy Wednesday edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News, hot off the presses off Capitol Hill. Republicans narrowly have nominated their current House Majority Leader, Steve Scalise, the congressman from Louisiana, the man who was wounded by a liberal activist gunman back a decade ago at the congressional baseball game, to be the Speaker of the House. However, he only got 113 votes out of the necessary 217 in the internal caucus. Jim Jordan finished second, a few votes behind him. There is a concern that there isn't yet a pathway for Scalise to secure the 217 votes needed to get to become Speaker. That has a lot of people worried, and we're going to start this show off with two live reports from people who just came out of that Republican caucus vote a few minutes ago. Congressman Mike Lawler from the great state of New York is going to give us an update. He also has been leading a, a big concern over the failure of the Biden administration to get Americans out of Israel. Really horrific situation. And then uh, we're going to turn to a second congressperson, Harriet Hageman from the great state of Wyoming, one of the most impactful freshmen in this new freshman class. She's going to weigh in as well and tell us what's going on behind the scenes. Does Jim Jordan stay in? Does he drop out? Does he encourage people to vote for Scalise? Are there still people waiting in the wings who have other grievances like Punishing Matt Gates. There seems to be some people who want to punish Matt Gates before they'll give a vote for the speaker. But right now, while there is a nominee, Steve Scalise is the nominee officially. That's the news we broke. It is not clear that he will have the votes at least anytime soon for 217. So uh, the drama of a Republican Congress has carried into yet another month. Uh, by the way, Congress was always a dramatic place in the founding of our country, the Constitutional Congress, the great debates through the years, a little robust debate and drama in Congress is actually probably what our founding fathers had in mind. They wanted passion. And right now, Republicans have a lot of passion. We'll see where that plays out. So we're going to open the show with back-to-back -back interviews with Congressman Mike Lawler, Congresswoman Harriet Hageman, and then we'll turn to one of the great experts in the Mideast, Daniel Pipes, a person who runs the Middle East Forum, one of the great columnists and authors. He saw the Islamic Islamist terrorism threat way before even our government saw it. I think he's probably one of the most sage voices. We're going to talk to him about what happened in Israel, what's happening now, what's next for the military operation. Are there other fronts that open up with Hezbollah out of Lebanon and maybe some actors in Syria? And what does the U.S. need to do, what it hasn't done, what it needs to do? We'll also talk to some of the Congress members about 
the concerns of the failure to help evacuate Americans from Israel and the concerns that some of the weaponry that these terrorists may have used against Israel, Hamas terrorists against Israel, that they may have actually come from Afghanistan, from the cache of weaponry that Joe Biden callously left behind. Wow. It's just an amazing thing to think of. All right, folks, that is the top of the show. And then in the back end of the show, we're going to do something fun because it's Wednesday, right? That means it is AMAC Wednesday, our normal sponsored conversation with the Association for Mature American Citizens, who, by the way, are not only doing these great Wednesday conversations when today's with Bobby Charles, former congressional investigator, former assistant secretary of state, former federal appeals clerk, former intelligence officer in the military. We're going to have a lot to talk about. He'll be weighing in on everything from Hamas to the rise of Donald Trump in the polls. By the way, Trump up seven points in Michigan today in a new poll. That's uh, a state that Joe Biden won in 2020. Joe Biden's presidency, certainly the re-election, seems to be in some very difficult position right now. But we got AMAC Wednesday, Bobby Charles. But I want to remind you, we started a very important presidential town hall interview series. All the candidates. Last week, we had Vivek Ramaswamy and former President Donald Trump, two really great newsy interviews, very prescient. This week, we're going to have North Dakota Governor Burgum. He's going to join us in a little bit, Doug Burgum. And he's a guy that I think has impressed a lot of people with substance, maybe not the most energetic character, but certainly a guy that has a lot of seriousness to him and was, I think, wrongly cut off with his mic a few times during the debate. Next week, we hope to have Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida and Senator Tim Scott. And then we're still trying to get former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. She's the only one who hasn't committed out of the top seven on the stage. So we're working on that. But AMAC has made that possible. AMAC CEO Rebecca Weber is joining alongside me as a co-host for these very special conversations. One hour, lots of substance. We don't allow sound bites. We don't allow cutoff mics. We don't allow silly talking points. We try to drill down into ideas and get you the sort of substance from each candidate so you can make the best informed decision that you can during the 2024 race. All right, folks. So that is our show today. We've got a good one. Congressman Mike Lawler next, followed by Congresswoman Harriet Hageman, followed by Daniel Pipes of the Middle East Forum, one of the great experts on terrorism and Middle East policy, really in the last half century in America. He'll be with us. And then we'll wrap up with AMAC Wednesday and my good friend, Bobby Charles. So much to talk about. And also, please keep in mind that this month, in honor of the town hall series we're doing, AMAC is doing something it's not ever done before in partnership with Just the News. It's dropping its five-year membership to just $35. By the way, you can't even get a dinner for one in Washington for $35. So this is a bargain. You're going to get five-year membership, five years of discounts, five years of the monthly magazine, five years of the daily news analysis and intelligence, the great podcast with Rebecca Weber, the articles and analysis from people like Bobby Charles for five years, 35 bucks. How do you do that? Go to AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash town hall. We're going to use a different URL this week. Normally we use Just News, but go to amac.us slash townhall, 35 bucks, five-year membership. I'm telling you, the discounts will pay for itself dozens of times over if you use the card like I do. That is a special offer from our good friends at AMAC. Please go check it out today. Go join them. Tell them because you support John Solomon and Just the News and Just the News, No Noise, the television show. We're supporting you at AMAC. That's a great thing to do. Go sign up for them today. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Congressman Mike Lawler from New York, up next. 
Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's AMAC.us forward slash just news. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. As I told you just a little while ago, Congressman Steve Scalise, the majority leader, won the uh, internal vote inside the Republican Party, and he's now the nominee for speaker. But that doesn't mean he's going to be elected speaker when the first floor vote occurs. I think there's a little bit of road ahead of us before we know how this turns out. And I thought we turned to one of our most trusted voices inside Congress. Congressman Mike Lawler from the great state of New York joins us hot off the presses with just what happened in the last few minutes up on Capitol Hill. Congressman, great to have you on the show again. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Like to just get your top line. Were you surprised by the outcome? What's next? There's still a, a lot of vote difference between what Majority Speaker Scalise got, what he's going to need to get if he's going to be the speaker. Uh, no question. Uh, look, you need 217 votes. Uh, and, you know, I've, I'm already seeing a lot of public pronouncements from uh, colleagues within the conference uh, that they're not going to vote for him. And I think this is something that I wanted to avoid. Um, I made it very clear uh, in conference, we need to make sure we have 217 before we leave the room. And I, and I think uh, folks are misreading the situation, frankly. Um, people are very angry and frustrated at what happened last week. And unless it's really, truly dealt with, I don't see how you get to 217. And so 
you know, we're going to see how this plays out, but uh, I think it's very foolish to take it to the floor for a vote without knowing you have 217. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And as of today, there's no vote planned right now for today, which means there's probably some wheeling and dealing going on behind the scenes. Am I reading that right? We'll see. I mean, th- there was a, a push to, to have a vote today. Uh, seemingly, we may recess. I'm not sure. I, I just think, uh, obviously, to, to have left that room uh, with the illusion that there was 217 votes was very foolish. Yeah. Now you see it on Twitter already. Lots of people already staking out positions that show you that the 217 is just not there. I want to ask a little bit about the anger because I think that's been masked over in the news media, but it's very real. The ousting of McCarthy and then just sort of the the last week, how it's played out. When you say things need to be dealt with, describe some of the things that you think are constructive to getting the caucus back together and focused on the work that the American people sent them to do. Look, we had eight people team up with 208 Democrats to remove a duly elected Republican speaker. It never should have happened. Uh, And I think, obviously, uh, if there's no consequence to that, if there's no ramifications of it, um, then, you know, it it makes it hard to operate as a conference. And I think we were all sent here on behalf of the American people to, to govern to serve as a Republican majority, to serve as a check and balance on the reckless spending of the Biden administration, the failed uh, border uh, policies of the Biden administration, the disastrous foreign policies uh, that that have created one crisis after the next from the disastrous with Afghanistan withdrawal uh, to the situation in Ukraine, the Indo-Pacific, and now Israel. And so uh, there's a lot of work to do. And we need to we need to get to a place where we can function as a uh, majority. Uh, But, you know, a lot of the conversations, frankly, that needed to happen over the last week did not happen. And and I think that that makes it challenging to get to 217. Do you have a consequence in mind for the eight that were involved? Look, I've said, you know, I think uh, Matt in particular, you know, was kind of the ringleader here and uh, violated the conference rules uh, by bringing that motion to vacate to the floor. Uh, And and again, relying on 208 Democrats. This was not a policy dispute. This wasn't a bill that impacts your district. This was turning over the majority to the Democrats. And it made no sense whatsoever. And so I think, you know, there needs to be accountability, but you can't keep operating like this. And if people see there's no consequence, then they'll keep doing it. Yeah, there's no deterrence right now to do it again if they don't get what someone doesn't get what they want sometime in the future. That is a really big issue. You are, sir, one of the most important voices on foreign affairs, your role in the committee and the subcommittee on Middle East. Right out of the bat, when this horrific attack occurred in Israel, you were out front. One of the things that seems to be really missing in the American response right now, despite all the missteps already, there isn't an effort by the U.S. government, the Biden administration, to get military planes to help people out of Israel who are Americans that want to get the safe harbor. Uh, how shocking is that? I mean, we always assumed that if we were overseas and something happened, our government would be there for us. But we had Afghanistan and now this. It's pretty remarkable the Biden administration doesn't have an engagement on this. No, it's been very frustrating. I've uh, called the White House numerous times, uh, reached out to the State Department, DOT. Uh, I've spoken with the commercial airline, uh, you know, uh, industry uh, and our our three major airlines. Um, It's a challenge here. And the administration needs to move military planes uh, into Israel 
to get our residents out. I have hundreds of residents in the 17th Congressional District of New York who are currently stranded in Israel. And they were there for the holidays. And, you know, obviously they have family there, many of them. Um, but they want to come home, understandably. And we need to do everything we can to get them out as quickly as possible. And so I, I've been pleading with the administration to take action here uh, and, you know, continue to push on it. Why this administration has this problem? I mean, almost any other president, including President Obama, go all the way back through history. There always was a commitment of Americans are in harm's way. We don't sleep until we get the job done. But here it seems like they sleep and they debate and they focus on other things and they never turn to this core mission that the State Department's always made a pledge to the American people. What What's the gap? Is it a leadership gap? Is it a mindset gap? What, what are they missing compared to other administrations that preceded them? I can't speak to it. It's just very frustrating at this moment, given the situation on the ground and, and the reality that, look, at any given moment, we have hundreds of thousands of American citizens in Israel. They're one of our closest allies. We have many people who are, who are dual citizens. Uh, and, you know, especially a district like mine, which has one of the largest Jewish populations in the country, I, I always have thousands of residents uh, who are over there. And so it really requires immediate, urgent action to get them out. We had a classified briefing this morning. It was, you know, indicated that there would be an announcement forthcoming in the next 24 hours uh, on this particular uh, issue. Um, so, you know, I I'm hopeful, but, you know, it needs to move expeditiously. Yeah, it seems so slow. And it seems like this administration is always so slow to react to the moments of crisis that happened when you were president. Very positive signals today, something you've been talking about for a long time. James Comer, Glenn Grothman announcing they're going to investigate all of the Iranian regime's connections to the Biden administration and some of the concessions that have been made, maybe that we haven't seen yet. You have been warning about this, whether it's Robert Malley, the Iran envoy that seemed to have a lot of unusual contacts with Iran foreign ministry officials. How important is this investigation and what would you like to see the outcome of it be? Uh, look, I, I think obviously uh, we we need to get to the bottom of, uh, you know, what's going on over there. Obviously disconcerting everything we've heard. Uh, so I, I think it's important we, we get answers uh, and do so expeditiously, uh, especially given given the current situation. Yeah. And funding for Iran. Obviously, there's the six billion that was part of the hostage deal. There's the re remarkable the, the jump. Six, the six billion should be immediately uh, refrozen yeah. uh, and uh, they should never, never see uh, one cent of it. Yeah. What about oil sales? Because Iranian oil sales and exports are way up in the last few months. That's why I have a bill, the SHIP Act, uh, to uh, impose uh, stricter sanctions on uh, Iranian petroleum, the sale, the refining, the transporting of, uh, and any country that engages uh, in it with Iran. Yeah, that's so important. It's a very important piece of legislation. Last piece, because you have never shied away from standing up to the bigotry or the anti-Semitism that sometimes rears its head, including in Congress. You've taken on in the last few days, Congressman Ilhan Omar and others who want the U.S. to step in and not assist its most important ally in the Middle East. How important is it to repeatedly repudiate and push back against these Democrats who actually have aligned themselves with people that support terror? Uh, no question. I mean, I, I think when you look at this uh, situation, the fact that we have members of Congress uh, who try to play the moral equivalency game 
it, it is just shameful. It's disgusting. Uh, I, I have no tolerance for it, uh, and, and I believe they're unfit to serve. Uh, Israel is one of our greatest allies. Uh, they have a right to defend themselves. They have a right to exist. And I think, unfortunately, there's people uh, in Congress uh, who, whether they say it bluntly or not, uh, don't agree with that sentiment. Yeah, no, it is amazing. Uh, one of the things that was impressive to see in the last couple of days, you, as a member of the House Knesset Friendship Group, creating that joint statement very early on, reminding people that the bonds between Israel and the United States are unshakable, even when there's some rhetoric to the contrary. How important is that relationship between the United States Congress and the Knesset? I think it's extremely important. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to go with Speaker McCarthy back in May for the 75th anniversary of Israel. And he, uh, you know, uh, set this uh, Knesset uh, Congress friendship group up. Uh, and obviously, uh, I think it it is all the more important, given the current circumstances, uh, that we not only continue to stand by our friend uh, and ally Israel, uh, but that we work cohesively with the Knesset. Uh, to ensure that they have all the resources and support needed to win this war. Yeah, that's what leadership looks like, that communication, that planning, that strategy, and that consistency and message. Last question, there's a lot of people worried now that based on what we've seen and the threats coming out of Hamas and other Iranian-backed terror groups in the last few days, that America may be vulnerable. Any sense, any briefing, any information that Congress has that these bad actors may try to strike Americans elsewhere? Obviously, that is uh, of great concern, uh, you know, and and I think it is imperative uh, that uh, we make it clear. And and to the president's credit, I think in his speech yesterday, he did uh, make that clear uh, that it will not be tolerated and it shall not be tolerated. And I think we need to be very firm and resolute in that uh, position. Uh, And any uh, bad actor, whether it's Hezbollah or Iran or uh, or others that seek to take advantage of this moment uh, should should think twice. Yeah, no, that was an important part of his statement yesterday, and of course, important part of what you've worked for so very hard on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Congressman, great honor. Thank you. I know how busy it is up there. What an honor to have you on and get such a good update live from Capitol Hill. We really appreciate that, sir. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Have a good day, sir. Thank you. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Congresswoman Harriet Hageman from the great state of Wyoming with an update on Capitol Hill. Right after uh, Mike Lawler, we got two great members of Congress giving us frontline reporting of what's going on in the drama on Capitol Hill. I'll have that right after these messages. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe 
from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. We'll take you up to Capitol Hill. Joining us by phone right, right now, Wyoming Congresswoman Harriet Hageman. Congresswoman, great to have you on the show. John, it's always so wonderful to be on your show and have an opportunity to visit with your listeners. Well, we're so grateful. I know Amanda was hoping to join. She's in the middle of something, but we'll get caught up with her soon. I want to turn to what happened uh, in the House uh, Republican Caucus just a short while ago. Uh, Steve Scalise, the majority uh, leader, finished with the most votes, but quite a bit short of the 217 needed. Give us up to speed on what's going on and what you think may go on over the next few hours. Well, I think that there's a lot of unknowns right now. So what happened was we went into the room today into our conference uh, and uh, had an opportunity for some nominations and then we voted and it did come out. It was a, it was a, a close vote. Uh, what I am hearing at this point is there is a question as to whether Steve Scalise has the 217 votes that he would need on the floor. I don't think we want a repeat of what happened in January and we need to make sure that we can come forward with the strongest candidate possible so that they can immediately take over and become the Speaker of the House. So right now, things are a little bit fluid. Uh, the the House gaveled in for a very short period of time this afternoon, and right now we're waiting to hear whether we're going to go back into conference or, or exactly what we're doing. So there's some fluidity up here in uh, on, on Capitol. What I am going to say is that we need to get a Speaker in place so that we can get back to governing and addressing the issues that are important to the the, the American public. We also need to get in to, to get back into session and and be working to address the absolute catastrophe, um, the tragedy that happened in Israel over the weekend. My heart goes out to everybody in Israel and all of their family members throughout the world. It was one of the most horrific things that I have ever seen. As I started witnessing at about five o'clock in the morning, Wyoming time, I was home uh, and started looking at my phone and realizing that something catastrophic had happened and then watching it play out. We're all heartbroken. We're all we're all horrified. And I will say this, a weak America makes for a very dangerous world. And I think that that is going to be one of Joe Biden's many legacies of failure, of his inability, the, the fact that we didn't have any intelligence on this 
And in addition to the fact that he is such a weak leader and and his administration has is is wrong on so many different front, fronts that it has really invited this kind of a of a catastrophe and tragedy. Yeah, there's no doubt. And another issue which you've led on all the way back to the days when you knocked Liz Cheney out of Congress and took her seat is the importance of energy independence in America. We're in this extraordinary dynamic where Joe Biden doesn't want Americans to drill for oil and gas on our land. But meanwhile, the amount of oil that Iran, a bad actor, is exporting to the world, two million barrels a month in August, the largest number we've seen in a long time. He has no problem with that. I know you want to rebalance that. How important has energy been to the violence cycle that we're now seeing play out in Israel. It's, it's the key to it. And in fact, over the last couple of days, I've done a deep dive into a variety of articles and studies and analyses of where Iran was. And because of the embargo, because of the sanctions against Iran, we were get under Donald Trump. We were actually getting to the point where Iran had been so substantially weakened. They were not able to provide this, the kind of support that they are now to, to Hamas and Hezbollah, in addition to the, the, the way that they treat their own people. I mean, it's, it is just a bankrupt, horrible terror, terroristic regime. And we had brought them to their knees by not allowing them to produce oil and gas. And now look at where they are and look at what happened on Saturday. I know that the Biden administration is trying to deflect attention from Iran's involvement in what Hamas did. But Hamas gets 70 percent of its funding from Iran. Whether they were on the phone call saying go now isn't the question. The fact is 70 percent of every single weapon and bullet and everything else that they used was came from Iran. Hezbollah is 100%. We know that they are bad actors within the Middle East, and so giving them any funding whatsoever is absolutely the wrong way to go. Wyoming is one of the largest oil and gas producers in the nation. We're the largest coal producer in the nation. We can generate the energy that we need right here domestically without having to fund dictators and despots and tyrants and terrorists. Yet that's exactly what we're doing because, again, of the failed policies of the Biden administration. Yeah. And with the price of oil rising consistently since Joe Biden became president, the bankrolls of Russia and Iran just get fatter. It seems as though we're playing into our own worst strategy. Uh, it, it is truly remarkable. I want to ask a little bit. Uh, I know t earlier today that Congress got a bipartisan private briefing. I'm not going to ask for any classified information. But in general, I, my understanding is that all the atrocities that have been alleged and that we saw some on television, and they've all been confirmed that this really was one of the most heinous, uh, uh, most ruthless attacks ever conducted uh, by a terrorist. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit about what we do know for certain to be true? That's that is what our understanding is. And w what I would say is, is, again, even the response of the Biden administration, it doesn't seem that this is a priority. It doesn't seem like people feel that this is something that they need to move quickly on. I was struck by almost the lackadaisical nature of the and, and, and the reaction of the people who were giving us a briefing. And that's not disclosing anything that's classified. Right. I was struck by how they don't seem to believe that there is any 
kind of urgency associated with this situation. Uh, we watched the slaughter of innocent women and children and, and, and soldiers. We, we, we watched, we, we are aware of the women and children being raped. We're, we're aware of the horrific things coming out of there. And truly, I thought with one guy, we were going to go need to check his pulse as he was talking because he was so uninterested in actually engaging and explaining the urgency of the situation. He it was like, well, this is every day. I guess it's Wednesday. Maybe I'll wear a blue shirt. I don't know. Uh, maybe the tan one looks better. That's about the level of engagement that we had. And I, I don't understand that because I'm laying awake at night thinking about not only what happened to our allies in the Middle East, but to human beings, to to, yeah. to Jews, to Christians, to what's going to happen to the, the Palestinians. I mean, this is a tragedy beyond tragedies. And this administration, they're not even they're not doing much to get our, our own citizens out. We have citizens who are being held hostage, in addition to which the, all of the folks who have dual citizenship. It's like, yeah, you know what? If you can catch an airplane out of, out of Israel, good luck. That's probably a way to go. Who would ever take that kind of an approach as a leader? Yeah, it's mind-numbing, and particularly after everything we learned about the failures in Afghanistan, the failure to get American citizens and our allies out as the Afghanistan was falling to the Taliban. You think we'd get it right this time? The shadows and echoes of Afghanistan seem to be very similar here in Israel when it comes to rescuing our own citizens from danger. How could that be? Where, where is the disconnect in the government for that? What I see with this administration is that their policies are so poor that what they spend a lot of their time trying to do is distance themselves from having to make decisions. And then when they make decisions or something goes bad, they spend all their time attempting to blame someone else for it. So it isn't as though they step up, take responsibility. I mean, we know that some of the weapons that are being used by Hamas in Israel against our, our most important ally came out of Afghanistan. So again, these things are all interconnected, not just because his disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan demonstrated a level of weakness uh, and hubris and, and, and just, just a tragedy, again, to use that word, but now the weapons have found their way into the hands of other terrorists around the world. So right now, I think part of why the Biden administration is almost taking a, yeah, we'll see what happens here. It's, a, it, it's not really our fault. Don't worry about it. Don't look over there, is that they know that they are so culpable. So they're they're trying to say this just it, maybe it's just not that big of a deal or or we, you know we'll we'll try to help people as we can. Um, they don't want to acknowledge that they're the ones that created the conditions and the environment under which this kind of an attack could take place. Folks, for the last thirty years, whenever I needed wisdom on the Middle East, Israel, the rise of Islamist terrorism, I've always turned to Daniel Pipes one of the great columnists, one of the great thinkers, the founder of the Middle East Forum, truly one of the first people who saw the rise of Islamic terrorism. He's going to join us next to go through all that happened in Israel. It's going to be a great conversation. Don't miss it. Daniel Pipes is a very special analyst. We'll have him next. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, folks. Welcome back for the commercial break. I've been a reporter for about 30 years here in Washington, D.C. And whenever I need really sage advice on what's really going on in the Middle East, what's the undercurrent, the understory, I always turn to our next guest. He is one of the most learned and trusted foreign policy analyst. He's the president of the Middle East Forum, and he is Daniel Pipes. He joins us right now. Daniel, great to have you back on the show. Thank you, John. Good to be here. So much has happened since Saturday. I think the horror of the images, the reality of just how big an attack this was, still sinking in. At the same time, the idea that Hamas is waging a large war, probably not surprising to you. You've been warning for a long time about what Hamas's attentions are and also the danger of their alliance with Iran. Give us your top line of where we are and what could come next. Well, there are two big questions in my mind. One is what the Israelis will do. Will they, in fact, reoccupy Gaza and eliminate Hamas? Will they return to the situation in 2005 before their unilateral withdrawal, or will they not? And the second big question is, will Hezbollah, the Islamist organization in Lebanon, attack Israel with its, who knows, 150,000 rockets and missiles in its arsenal? uh, I think that's a decision that Hezbollah itself will make, not not the leaders in Tehran, Iran. Uh, these are, these are the two big questions. Yeah, they are big questions, and a lot will in the next few days. The behavior of others in that region appear to be, you know, help define, I think, a lot of what happens in the next six weeks or so. I guess the biggest fear is that this could be a two or three front war, right? You could have some rockets coming in from Lebanon. You could have some rockets coming in from Syria or attacks coming in from Syria, like we saw yesterday. And then, of course, the primary front with Hamas. Can Israel defend on all three fronts if that is the, the worst case scenario? And what does the United States do to make sure that we back Israel 120 percent? I couldn't tell you in detail what the Israeli military capabilities are on the three fronts, but I think the Israelis are prepared for that. Uh, After all, they've faced in the past many times. Uh, So I would expect they can deal with multiple fronts. As for the United States, again, the big question is uh, concerning uh, the Israeli actions in Gaza. President Biden and everyone in the top leadership in Washington has been crystal clear that the United States stands by Israel, that this was a uh, horrid attack and couldn't ask for more. Israel couldn't ask for more. But that's the easy part. The difficult part will be going ahead when the Israelis, should the Israelis uh, have a ground operation that retakes Gaza, what will they be saying then? Will they be pulling back? Will it be criticizing? Will they be saying stop? Or will they say, go ahead, do what you have to do? Yeah, no, it really is remarkable. 
I want to talk about the United Nations, because obviously at some point, those countries that have been sympathetic to Palestine will try to use whatever Israel does in the counteroffensive to return security to the Gaza and the south side of Israel. They'll use it as an effort. There was already that extraordinary moment yesterday where the UN Human Rights Council observed a moment of silence, and you thought they were mourning the Israeli victims, but in fact, they weren't, were they? Well, they're mourning the victims in Palestine and elsewhere. Does Israel need America's support, particularly in places like the UN right now, to make sure there isn't a boomerang? I don't think, well, Israel can always use American support, but I don't think there's too much of a prospect of a boomerang. Um, If you look at the Security Council, it looks like uh, the five uh, permanent members, four are, are with Israel, and the fifth being Russia. I mean, even China is. Um, but Russia is not. And Russia, of course, will be on the other side of any ally of the United States. Uh, now, the Russian-Israeli relationship has been uh, a cautious one for some 20 years. Putin has been friendly. He, he went to the Western Wall and prayed. He has had innumerable meetings with Netanyahu. The Israelis have been cautious in the Ukraine war. Their sympathies are clearly with Ukraine, but they have not done all they could. Uh, both of them are important to the, the other. Uh, I, I, I would expect the Russians would veto a pro-Israel resolution, um, but I don't think they would do much more than that. Yeah, more symbolic than engaged. Danny, I want to talk a little bit about the rhetoric that has come out since the attacks on Saturday. Hamas has called, particularly for this Friday, to be a violent uprising of all of Israel's Muslims against Israel. There are other ones that are make suggestions about the United States. There was a bolo out from the Custom Border Protection Agency to be on the lookout for Jordanian men buying one-way tickets at the last minute. The threat matrix probably is not just high blinking red in Israel, Western, and even in the United States, probably on a higher guard than they were maybe 48, 72, certainly a week ago. Yes, agreed. Uh, the biggest issue will be Israel, the Muslims of Israel, who constitute nearly one-fifth of the population of Israel, and who in the last round of fighting between Hamas and Israel in May 2021 uh, did go to the streets, did uh, set things on fire, did engage in violence. Uh, This was a a traumatic moment for Israel uh, when its Muslim minority elements of its Muslim minority um, got violent. So the big question is, what will they do now? I'm inclined to say they're going to stay home. Uh, I think the Israeli Muslim citizens are perfectly aware of the outrage and fury among the Jewish population of Israel and uh, will not challenge the majority Jewish population. it could get ugly very fast. So I think they they will be cautious, is my prediction. You had a very powerful op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that I read. Uh, I guess it was Sunday morning when I read it. A lot of concerns about Israel maybe miscalculating with its engagement with Hamas, but more importantly now, given the magnitude of the terrorism that was was waged on Saturday and Sunday, this is a moment where Israel shouldn't stop short, right? You want them to go all the way and get Hamas eradicated from Israel. Is that the right tactical move for Israel right now? I believe so. 
I think the Israelis made two major errors, two major conceptual errors. One was to become defensive, to put up walls and to uh, create anti-missile protection uh, and to become too defensive. And, and you know, it didn't work. Uh, you, you, your defensive wall is not that good. And secondly, and perhaps more importantly, uh, the Israelis uh, thought that they, or the security establishment in Israel believed it could manage the conflict. Uh, it didn't have to win it. That Hamas had become somewhat tame, that was concerned about economics and um, the normal issues of d daily life. Uh, profound, profound mistake. Uh, this is jihad. This is war undertaken on behalf of Islam. This is a very basic premise of Hamas, why it exists to destroy Israel. So going forward, I believe that, um, I've always believed that Hamas is not a legitimate actor, cannot be managed, um, must be extirpated. And I like to quote the Hamas Charter of 1988, its, its basic constitution, which states that Islam must obliterate Islam, must obliterate Israel. And I say now Israel must obliterate Hamas, not Islam, but Hamas. Uh, and I very much hope the Israelis do that. Get rid of it. No more. Yeah. And for what will be, I guess there's two, obviously there's a ground war phase that's going to be now. That's going to be a difficult time because it's going to be urban warfare. At some point, Israel will prevail because it has military superiority. What comes next? What should we be planning for now? What should the United States, Israel, the Western world be planning to create a Palestinian region that doesn't have this form of extremism in the center of its government? Right. Well, here I'm, I'm uh, an optimist. Here, I believe, I'm writing an article right now with the working title, An Optimist Looks at Gaza. And I'm not historically an optimist, but I am here. I think that what Hamas has done to the population of Gaza in the last 15 years, since it first started attacking Israel in late 2008, has been something unique in human history. That's a challenge to you and the audience to tell me I'm wrong. But I never heard, I can't remember ever, of a governing power, a government really in fact, that attacks a much stronger neighbor, much stronger neighbor, knowing it's going to lose, knowing it's going to take casualties, knowing it's going to get bombed, knowing the electricity and water and fuel and medicine are going to be disrupted, knowing, knowing all this, but wanting to get the bloody nose for public relations purposes. And its population gets hit over and over and over again. And the more casualties in that population, the better. The better it is for public relations. You know, we had 2,000 dead. How many Israelis are dead? How many Palestinians dead? You know? uh, this is unique, unique experience, I believe. Evil experience that the Hamas imposed. This medieval totalitarian rulership imposed on this population. And I draw the conclusion, not just from this, but also from anecdotal and survey research, that the Gazans are fed up. The Gazans want to, I'm not saying the Gazans like Israel. I'm saying they're fed up with this. And, and now they're going to go through something even more horrible than in the past that their rulers imposed on them. So I believe, I draw the conclusion from this, that Israel, when it controls, should it control Gaza, 
it can find a cadre of Gazans who will work with it to create a decent administration. Administration will be focused on the normal things in life instead of uh, destroying its its neighbor. I am optimistic that the Israelis can foster, sponsor a administration, a, a semi-autonomous government that will be okay. So I think I'm hopeful that there will be good things that come out of this tragedy. There is a lot of optimism, actually, in the intelligence world that this is an unparalleled moment once Hamas is eradicated from the region, that the Palestinian people have just suffered through so much economic failure, so much governance failure, that even the basics of just community sustenance has been a disaster on Hamas, that perhaps they're open to trying something very different because they're tired of the cycle of failure inside their community and then violence outside of it. And it seems like this is that moment. Yesterday, the president came out pretty clearly repudiating things. Not everyone in his party is aligned with him, certainly not the liberal progressives. What challenge does this pose for the Democratic Party, which has long kind of swept under the rug the squad-like mentalities, which, by the way, seem to be a lot more pervasive, particularly in college campuses? Does the Democrats have a little bit of a bipolar complex right now? They do, but let me point out the Republicans do, too. Tucker Carlson uh, is not really on Israel's side. So um, at the extremes of both parties, the woke left, the MAGA right, uh, there are distinct elements who uh, ignore the bar- barbarism of what happened on the weekend and are standing with the with Hamas. Uh, yes, this is a, an issue, uh, uh, but I think I think the the middle has has held and will hold, and that the the overwhelming majority of Americans and American politicians uh, will stand with Israel. The question I raised before is how how far will they stand with Israel? Sure, they stand with Israel when a thousand Israelis are, are murdered in cold blood. Will they stand with Israel when Israel takes the steps that are likely in Gaza? I don't know. There are many other terror groups that have targeted the West that draw their inspiration from the Palestinian-Israel conflict. How do they act? The Al-Qaeda is the Islamic State and others. How will they act in the aftermath of this? Is this a new trigger, a new propaganda opportunity for them, given what happened this weekend? Similarity between 9-11 and this is in both cases, the Islamist jihadis engaged in an operation that no one ever imagined just complete surprise. Yet we know who they were, we know what their intentions were, they'd done things in the past, but this was on a scale and uh, and then using methods that nobody thought of. Nobody thought that the bulldozers could just pull down the, the fence and people would rush out of Gaza and start murdering. Just nobody thought of it. Uh, and so um, that's now on the table. But I would say just as 9-11 did not cause a great wave of airplanes crashing into high rises, I'm uh, skeptical that this will lead to, you know, there, there aren't many situations like on the Gaza-Israel border. So I don't really think it will lead to much. But what is notable, noteworthy, you may have missed it, is that the South Korean defense minister said, oh, 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 we just learned something. The North Koreans could do this. Now, that's not a, 
a group that's a, that's a state um, but the North the South Koreans said ah oh, we we just realized we're vulnerable we're gonna have to make some changes because they had an agreement not to not to put aircraft in a certain area and now they want to end that that agreement yeah feels uh, insecure at this moment for sure last question because I think it is the larger issue that must be resolved long term when you talk to experts in the region. Iran, what do you think their involvement was and how much does the last two and a half to three years of U.S. policy towards Iran play into not only what happened this weekend, but what's about to come in the weeks ahead? Well, the Iranians are feeling strong. They uh, have this new alliance with Russia, which is very beneficial. Russia needs them more than they need Russia. So they are benefiting financially and in terms of uh, technology and building their arsenal and having a, a new close ally. Uh, so the Iranians are feeling strong in that sense. Um, this is a major victory for them. Uh, they have lots of problems domestically and in Iraq and Syria and Lebanon and Yemen. Um, lots of problems, but this is this is clearly a, a signal victory. Uh, I think it will. Uh, the, the great question for me is: Will they push Hezbollah? Will they pressure Hezbollah in Lebanon to let loose with its arsenal against Israel or not? Uh, I am inclined to think they will. Uh, they haven't so far. The skirmishes along the border have been fairly small scale, but I would not be surprised if. Uh, Hezbollah let loose with rockets and missiles. In that moment, what does the Biden administration, which has tried so hard to appease and, and move Iran to a nuclear deal that a lot of people don't support, obviously, what will the Biden administration's tactics and strategy have to change the more Iran becomes involved in this, if they do become involved anymore? Well, the Obama administration then and the Biden administration now have been forgiving of Tehran have been willing to overlook its transgressions. I suspect this will be a difficult one to overlook. Uh, the emotions run so high, the president himself, his, the White House spokesman nearly broke down in tears. Uh, I, I, I think this is a step too far for the Iranians to expect to get away with Hezbollah attack and have no consequence in the U.S.-Iran relationship. I think there will be real consequences. I think you're right. I think there's going to be a moment of reckoning that we haven't seen in a while. Daniel, you have been such an important voice in America for so long, way ahead of the rest of the world in identifying the threat that radical Islam posed to the Western world. The Middle East Forum is an extraordinary thing. Your columns for the Washington Times, Wall Street Journal, I've read them for years. For people who want to follow you, particularly in this consequential moment, what's the best way to stay in touch with you with the work you do at the Middle East Forum and, of course, on Twitter and all of your column writing? Well, thank you so much, John, for the kind words. Uh, me, it's really easy. My name is Daniel Pipes. DanielPipes.org is big, big archive. Absolutely. The best of you. The, work. Back to the 1960s. Uh, the Middle East Forum is Emmy Forum, as in Middle East Forum, EmmyForum.org. And I'm on Twitter at just Daniel Pipes. Well, it's always an honor. I have marveled at your work when I was editor of the Washington Times. I always look forward to your next column. You are an extraordinary historian, security expert, and uh, you have been a clarion bellwether for what we should be watching out in the world. And it's just a great honor to have you on today. Thanks so much for your time. 
Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, you, Daniel. One more really good segment to go. AMAC Wednesday, Bobby Charles, you know who he is. Go join AMAC by going to amac.us slash town hall right now, and you'll get a five-year membership for a whopping $35. That is an unbelievable bargain. He's going to tell you more about it right after these messages. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. Hey, it is a Mac Wednesday, one of my favorite times of the week because we get a deep dive conversation. Everybody loves this. Bobby Charles feels like he's part of the Justin News family. He comes on every week, enthralls us with great investigative ideas, great policy analysis, great observations about what's going on, not only in the United States, but in the world at large. He's going to join us in a second. But before that, I want to brag because our partnership with AMAC is much more than even AMAC Wednesdays. We've been doing these town hall interviews with all the presidential candidates. Last week, we had Vivek Ramaswamy and then Donald Trump back to back Thursday, Friday night on Real America's Voice. Uh, This Friday night, we've got Governor Doug Burgum. And then next week, we have Senator Tim Scott and Governor Ron DeSantis. We are going to interview as many, if not all, of the presidential candidates, including President Joe Biden. We've given him an invite, too. We'll see if he takes us up on it, but it's there. So keep an eye on that Friday night, one hour with Governor Doug Burgum. I got to tell you, he's a really interesting guy. I think you're going to get a lot of substance and ideas that aren't on the table right now. I'm really hope forward you look to set your calendar for 6 o'clock, Real America's Voice, Friday night. Now, let's bring in our good friend Bobby Charles right now. Bobby, great to have you on. Great, great to be here. And I have to tell you, between you and Rebecca doing those interviews, you're like the combination of uh, Walter Cronkite, you know, uh, Howard K. Smith and David Brinkley. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> oh, those are Maybe some big better. names. It, it's been a, so fun. And you know what's fun? We're talking substance. We're not doing gotchas and sound bites. We're letting people tell the American people where they stand. And that's how you get an informed citizen. It's been a blast. I've enjoyed every second of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really great. Rebecca has been just an amazing co-host. I've just really enjoyed every second of my time with her. It's been just great. All right. Well, since the last time we talked, Bobby, a lot of news has broken, particularly in the Middle East, but in a lot of other places, too. A few minutes ago, word that Steve Scalise won the nomination out of the Republican caucus. Doesn't mean he's going to be speaker, but it's one of the steps there. And then, of course, what happened in Israel, literally been jaw-dropping over the last five, six days, these images of horror and atrocity. When you look out at this right now, what are your top takeaways from what we should learn from this over the, uh, over the last five days? My takeaway is I've spent, you know, in my past life, both five years as an investigator and going around the world 
working, frankly, as as somebody doing that work for Congress, but at the same time later as an assistant secretary of state with Powell, I've been in a lot of places, both at and after uh, terror being a, a piece of what was going on there. And, and um, you know, Dahran to Iraq, to Afghanistan, to Colombia. And my my takeaway is that the first reaction of human beings to terror is shock and fear. Uh, and then it's it's followed by anger and resolve. And I think, you know, it's hard to think about anything right now except empathy for those, uh, frankly, everywhere in that region who are suffering profoundly. But I would like to believe that, you know, what happens is we don't think about something for a long time. Nobody thought about China as being uh, having sort of quietly crept up on the American, uh, you know, both electorate and economy and having taken us hostage in effect. But then all of a sudden Trump came along and, and, and people people woke up to it. I would like to believe he educated us, really educated us. And so what I would like to believe is that somehow when the dust settles and this horrifying set of events is, is it can be discussed at least at least in some degree of perspective, we can say, number one, we are fortified against terror again around the world. We're not going to let this happen anywhere in the United States, not at our southern border, not elsewhere in the Middle East. But we also maybe can can listen to our own better angels and say, how about leadership bringing some degree of peace to this region? The Abrahamic Accord started that process. I personally believe others disagree with me, but I believe that if you had kept that process going, that coalition, that patchwork of, of bilateral agreements could have led to a discussion about the Palestinians. And in due time, the Palestinians, you know, the Christian Palestinians, the Palestinians that are also many of them innocent and being, you know, they, they were hijacked by Hamas five or six years ago. And, and the reality in all this is that you could you could get the Israelis and you could get the Palestinians and you could get a group of there's 22 countries in the Middle East. Maybe you could get 15 of them to sit down together and come to some kind of a concurrence. The problem is that region is not you know, a lot of people say, well, it's the same old thing. It's not the same old thing. What's happening is that region with Iran becoming nuclear, I, I suspect in the near future, unless Israeli or American you know, enterprise stops them, uh, that region is going to get far more dangerous fast. And, and all of this, the reason I say Iran again to close this thought is Iran is behind Hamas and Hezbollah and always has been. And it is an outrage that we have given six, they've, they've freed $6 billion so that now Iran, Biden did and Blinken did, so that now they can build nuclear weapons and push terror. It's a disgrace. It's worse than Afghanistan. Yeah, and the consequences long-term are becoming more apparent. It's very interesting that you talked about the exhaustion with violence, the cycle of really been 50 years of constant clashing. Earlier in the show, Daniel Pipes came on for the Middle East Forum. He obviously, one of the most sage voices of Middle East policy, and he says, listen, this is a horrible moment, and it shows that the Israelis may be miscalculated in trusting that Hamas would ever be a good partner. But when it's done, if they eradicate Hamas from the Gaza, that his prediction was that the Palestinian people are so tired of not only having a bad economy and a bad situation because their own leaders have failed, but also the violence and then getting pounded down, that they're ready for a different type of leadership. So I think you're thinking, and Daniels are very similar after all this tragedy, and it will be terrible tragedy. There could be a moment where Palestinians pick a type of government that actually makes this constructive for the future. And Saudi Arabia gets involved, some of the neighbors that are moving closer to Israel. Uh, it could be a real moment, even though there's been so much horrific bloodshed before it. Well, I would tell you that in, when, in many ways, what is occurring now is kind of like a pincer movement in the military. You have 
the threats growing externally and you have motivations internally growing. So if you can imagine concentric circles, obviously Israel and the Palestinians have an incentive to get this right and work it. If there's a way to work it, work it right. But then the concentric circles are the immediate neighbors have a, a, a real incentive to get this right, whether it's, you know, Saudi, Jordan, Egypt, uh, you know, even Turkey, probably, uh, who always thinks of itself as a leader in that region, even though they haven't done a whole lot to lead lately. But in the end, y- y- you also have wider concentric circles of people who realize that if that region becomes nuclear, if, if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, Saudi will want one. And the worst thing in the world you could have is terror afoot with nuclear uh, uh, weapons being part of the equation. So I think that's the external stuff. But you've also got, you know, we've got pressure right now, John, from China in this region and Russia in this region. Russia is all over Syria. Uh, China has just brokered a deal between Saudi and Iran. I mean, whether you think that's a real deal or it's just paper, the, the reality is we have pressure there that, that says, okay, America, you've always been the leader in this region. You have always helped pick up the pieces. You have always stepped up. And I, I, that phrase means a lot to me, step up. We, as Americans, look to try to make the world a better place. And frankly, I think Biden's a dead letter, but I think at the end of the day, we've got to step up and say we care enough about the future of not only our own freedom, uh, but the region to, to get this right so that the, the world doesn't remain in peril. Yeah, no, I think that that's such an important clarion call. I know you you have this brilliant way of capturing the moment. And I, I think because you're a student of history, a student of so much experience in your own life and as an appellate court clerk, as one of the best investigators I ever met in Congress, and of course, as an assistant secretary of state with a huge portfolio, sometimes we step back and we see in this moment warnings and echoes of an earlier time. And and I know you have a very important letter written by Eddie Rickenbacker. Could you share a little bit about that and who he is and why it's so relevant to the moment of history we're living through right now? Yeah, so I'm gonna use it as a springboard, John, and that's why I mentioned it to you earlier. Um, we History is, my kids are both physics kids, but one of them loves history. I believe in history as a great teacher. I think it is as valuable a teacher as math and physics are about our physical world. And history teaches us in these moments, uh, we think of it as sort of light posts, uh, I think, and, and in the grand scheme, it's not a continuity, but there's these mo- there are these moments. So Eddie Rickenbacker, and, and I happened by odd chance to have stumbled on this letter 25 years ago, and I've always kept it, and I thought it was really, really instructive. And it is a personal letter by him to a, a friend of his who was in the D.C. area, and he wrote it right at the end of World War II. Now, who is Eddie Rickenbacker and why would he be relevant today? He was the most decorated ace in World War I and a combat uh, fighter pilot in, uh, in, in World War II. He was also a man of great faith, for what it's worth. Um, and he was an, a diehard American. He, I think after all of that, he had been, he'd been a race car driver and other things. But after all of that, he headed up Eastern Airlines for a while uh, and died in the 70s. But right as World War II was ending... He wrote this profound, lengthy letter to his friend, and he said, now, mind you, this is a combat warrior. He said, we, during the period of time as World War II was afoot for, you know, those five years, really, and our engagement after Pearl Harbor, we had to learn to hate, and we had to learn to fight, and we had to learn to fight to the death, and we had to learn how to react to fear, to compartmentalize it, and to prevail. But he said, I have a profound, he said, I, he said, I have a profound worry. 
And that is that once we learn hate, once we indulge anger, it, it may infect us. And it was an unbelievably prophetic letter because he said, I'm afraid that labor will begin to hate management. I'm afraid the Democrats will begin to hate the Republicans and we will transfer. We will have racial hate in this country. He said what, what I don't he, he, what, he was not blind to the idea that reforms needed to happen, but he felt that the power of anger has to be collared. Because if you don't collar it, it can actually infect your seed corn. It can actually affect your your own inner peace. And I say we need to obviously smash terrorism all over the world as much as we can and put them out of business. And that's why Soleimani and all the things Trump did were right on that front and what has to be done now. But then we have to let the snow globe settle for a minute and look back and say, this is not a state of play that we enjoy being in. We need to work toward uh, tamping down hatred and tamping down fear and tamping down anger in ourselves and, and frankly, all of our allies so that we can get to a point where there's a greater prospect. And I know I sound like a damn idealist, but a greater prospect for actually finding degrees of peace ahead. Because if we don't put our, our pivot and look toward the future that way, we're going to keep we're going to keep replaying the past. And it's going to disappoint us in just the ways that Rickenbacker said it would. One of those places where hate has created some obsession, obviously, in the on the left-wing media, in the left of the uh, Democratic Party for Donald Trump. And yet, as that intensifies, as that grows, there's an unusual dynamic. Indictments, lawsuits keep coming, but Donald Trump keeps rising in stature, rising in the polls. Today, he's up a huge amount in Michigan, a place where Joe Biden won in 2020. I think Trump's up seven in the latest poll there, seven points. That's a huge lead in in a swing state. Uh, You wrote a column trying to help Americans understand what message they're sending in supporting Trump after all that has happened. Give us a little skinny about what that's about and what it, it means for us. Yeah, and people can go to amac.us, obviously, um, and see that column. But 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 it, it it's really called Trump and uh, and unfairness, and it boils down to this: people can like or dislike his attitude on life, his his sassiness, his uh, way of managing things, even his ego. But in the end, Americans hate more than anything else. Maybe anything except being told they don't have a sense of humor. Americans hate. <laughs> That's and, true, actually. Hate, you know, they, they hate unfairness. They hate seeing people they have vested power in take that power and abuse it and persecute somebody. They they don't like seeing it in any color or, or shape or party. And so I, I, what's happening, John, the reason every single time they pile on, it's a fundamental. It's really an Achilles Hill error. It is a it is a fundamental strategic error. What the Democrats have decided is that they have almost single party power. They can absolutely ramrod, persecute, harass, try to put out a business election interfere with Donald Trump and no one will care. They will they will have vented their spleen. They will have they will. And, and what's happening is average Americans, including moderate Democrats and independents down are looking at this and you can see the poll numbers and you can break them down. And they're saying, you know what? I don't like the fact that you're taking my my authority. I gave you my my sovereign authority is vested in you as an elected official to represent me. And I don't like the fact that you're taking not only are you misspending my money and overregulating me and telling me that my gas stove has to go away and I can't have a gas powered pickup truck. No, you're now telling me that you're going to go after the one guy 
who has essentially stood up for First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth, Fifth, Sixth Amendment rights, never mind Tenth Amendment rights, and the guy that, that truly, you're crucifying him. And, and it's, it's absolutely, it's infuriating people. And I think that's what's happening. I think Americans, the one thing they can't stand is to see unfairness in their name. And, um, and so I think that's what's happening. Such a really keen observation. And I think something that we all are, are experiencing, we're scratching our head a little bit. Now we thought, well, I think it makes sense. We just don't like the way this is playing out. This doesn't seem the way that we expect American and American politics that we expect, but Anna Republic's act this way. And we're not that. And I think that that's what's so amazing about this dynamic over the last uh, several months. I want to finish up with something <laughs> there was in the Israeli uh, the Hamas attack on Israel, you know, a, an intelligence failure. We don't fully understand it yet. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, in that intelligence failure, a lot of people say, OK, if it can happen to Israel, which has its radar up 24-7 with our wide open border, are we here as a sitting duck right now? Some of your thoughts as someone who at the State Department had big security responsibilities in Congress, had oversight responsibilities. It feels like we're feeling vulnerable. It just feels a vulnerable moment in American history. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, I was ten years an intelligence officer. I I was ten years naval intelligence and and globally, so I, I have seen all of this before. Uh, for sure, this, by the way, was an intelligence failure, both both on the Israeli front and on the American front. And uh, and the reason for that, you know, asymmetric uh, threats are the hardest ones to. Uh, we, we think that we have calculus down, and then someone comes up with a a new uh, a new element and and we don't we're not ready for it so i do think there's a high degree of vulnerability out there and i i really have two two views one is that you know we had 200,000 illegal aliens cross our border last month last month and those numbers continue to move if you think about math for a minute they they move in an exponential way so it's like a it's like an airplane you know going vertical at the end of a runway they 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 are that line is going straight up right now and so in that group of 200,000 you may or may not have terrorists but i'm going to tell you those are not all guatemalans and what what we're what we're what we're really inviting here and that's why i think probably um, threat level alpha is what every military base and, and probably most consulates and, and embassies are at right now. Uh, you know, what, what we're looking at is uh, terrorism is a contagion. It's, it's almost like copycat crimes. And when people think they can get away with something, they they try it. And who knows if we have sleeper cells afoot now, because this administration has let I mean, now they've decided, God, they, they got an epiphany. They think a wall would be a good idea. Damn, really? Isn't that a great what idea? What an idea. <laughs> what an idea, right. Uh, but meantime, you know, it's almost like, uh, you know, you're cold at closing the corral door after all the horses are gone. Or as I said the other day to somebody, I feel like it's the Trojan horse without the horse. Um, I think we're in a situation where there is high level of vulnerability. I also do think, however, it's a fact that people don't think a lot about, but terrorists and even insurgents are not stupid. They, they actually study. Uh, some of them are ideologically blind and they're extremely violent and have no moral compass, but they're not stupid. And so what I think a lot of these terrorists would know, and I'll just say it straight out, there are 400 million firearms in this country. Um, most people in the southern states, in the red states, own firearms. I, I live in Maine. Everybody around me for miles and miles owns firearms. We, we, we know how to use them. We grew up with them when we were 10, 11, 12 years old. 
I think that any terrorist should think twice, and I think they probably do, about the fact that you come across this border doing something like that, and you're going to have a swarm of people taking you out long before the government even gets there. Yeah, that is uh, that is one of the things that um, the Second Amendment helped us guarantee for a long period of time. But there is a real scary moment. It'll be interesting to watch over the next few weeks. A lot of people talking about Friday the 13th because some of the Hamas people are talking about revenge this Friday. Uh, but it just we, we're at a moment now where I think we're tired of anyone trying to threaten our security. And I think the tolerance level is going to be pretty low for anything that any foreign uh, bad actor tries to take right now. Bobby, there's so much that uh, the AMAC partnership brings uh, for Just the News and John Solomon reports and Just the News No Noise, a television show. We talked about the presidential um, debate uh, or the presidential uh, town hall series. The interviews are fantastic. Governor Burgum coming up this uh, Friday. We've already done Donald Trump, Vivek Ramaswamy. We've got Tim Scott and... Um, Governor Ron DeSantis coming up and hopefully Nikki Haley as well. Uh, and AMAC membership is another thing. And this month, you guys are doing something very special for the John Solomon Reports and Just the News family. Uh, if you go to amac.us slash town hall, playing off the town hall series, amac.us slash town hall right now, you're going to get a five-year membership for 35 bucks. That is a bargain. By the way, you can't even get a single meal at a restaurant in Washington, D.C. for $35. This is a bargain. Five years inside the AMAC family. And what I've told people is now that I've joined, I realize I'm not really joining an organization. I'm joining a community and it has so many opportunities. The daily, uh, the week, monthly magazine, the daily articles that Bobby and his team writes, um, the discounts that pay for your membership seven times over by the time you start using them. But the idea that you're around like-minded people, I think it's perhaps the most compelling part of my membership. You're around like-minded people and you have this sense of an opportunity to do civic duty, to do things like election observing or, or contacting your lawmakers. You really feel like you're part of something larger than yourself. Uh, you've been there a long time. You've been their national spokesman at AMAC. Uh, what is the thing that most sells you each time when you renew your membership? Well, I'll tell you what it really is, John. I go to sleep feeling good at night. You know, in my earlier days, I was a Boy Scout. And if you wrap all of the civic groups that love this country together, from the veterans groups to the, you know, uh, all the civic groups you can think of, and then you kind of package it and think about it, it having the voice or the, the, the uh, principles of Ronald Reagan, and you say, well, is there really a group out there, millions strong, that really believes this and is willing to fight for it at the state legislative level? They, they have literally millions of people. They, they operate at the state level, turning back bad legislation. They work, about, they work at the national level. They work in the public sphere. They work on election integrity. Every issue that most of us care about, AMAC has an entire component dedicated to. So there's a foundation dedicated to veterans. There's a, there's a piece dedicated to Social Security where you can call at any given time. So I, I would tell you that it's $16 for an annual membership. What's that? A little more than a dollar and a quarter a month. And you are, you know, for an AMAC membership that brings you back everything from, you know, travel benefits and, 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 and money off on all the things that you can think of that you would want uh, from dental care to everything else, you, you 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 get all that back for the price of you know uh, uh, under Joe Biden's Biden's inflationary regime you get it's the price of a cup of coffee um, and and by the way AMAC 
has not raised their prices, and I, I don't foresee it at any given t- you know, time in the future. They are dedicated to the proposition of saving this country. And I, I really love the fact – I love every day being a part of this organization. I feel like uh, somehow God was good enough to me to give me a shot at, at, at contributing in some way that, that will make me sleep better at night. And I think anybody who is a member of AMAC sleeps better at night. You can plug directly into delegate meetings. You can, you can go to the Hill with them. You can, you can go anywhere. And they, they're completely engaged. And so I guess I, I think if Ronald Reagan was alive today and Theodore Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln, uh, I think they'd all be members of AMAC. Yeah, uh, that's uh, There's no doubt about it. Um, uh, folks, if you love these conversations we have on Wednesday with Bobby, if you love the presidential town hall series, if you love all the insights and wisdom that we get from all the AMAC guests who come on, all the various platforms that Justin News have, here's what you do. Go to amac.us. I haven't done it already. amac, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash town hall. We're going to use a different uh, URL for this, but you're going to get a five-year membership for 35 bucks. That's the best deal I've ever seen on a membership. Go do that today. Go say thank you to AMAC for all they do in their partnership with Justin News. I'm so grateful for it, and I feel like we create great content and great opportunities that make us smarter for it. And I know one thing, I'm always smarter when I'm done talking with Bobby Charles every week. Bobby, great to have you on the show today. What a great honor. John, it's my honor, and it's a privilege to be on this. And I just, I love the fact that you've got such a viewership and listenership that cares about this country because that's that's really what it's all about. Yeah, well, we're lucky there. Uh, I feel so blessed to just have such people engage with Justin News every single day. It's an amazing thing. All right, buddy, we're going to let you go. We'll have you back next Wednesday. A lot of history is probably going to play out between now and then, so we can't wait to get your latest thoughts. And until then, have a good week, my friend. Thank you, John. You too. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. A big thank you to Congressman Mike Lawler and Congresswoman Harriet Hageman, back-to-back live from Capitol Hill, just moments after the vote to nominate Steve Scalise as the next House Speaker. So much drama still to play, a lot of history to play out. We'll have that covered on Just the News throughout the night. A big thank you to Daniel Pipes, a lot of wise words from him there. And of course, as always, our good friends at AMAC, our great partnership. Uh, we got the Town Hall, Governor Doug Burgum on Friday on Real America's Voice, but today. A big thank you to Bobby Charles. Anytime he gets on this show, I have such a blast. It's such a thoughtful conversation that you get, and I'm so grateful for his time today. All right, folks, that wraps it up. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Hey there, it's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, 
educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. 